Hello and welcome to Off the Record. My name is Zach. I speak with Jesse. Hi, Jesse. How's it going? It's okay. I feel like we just talked yesterday. Uh, I think it was the day before yesterday, buddy. Ugh, that's too much of you. Mm, I feel you. I feel very similar. Yeah, this is... Uh, but sadly, you have to run off and make the mistake that everybody makes at least once and go on the Warp Tour. I thought you were going to say go to Vegas or something. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? You know, I have an impending trip uh, there, but I've only... Pa- so here's the quick tangent. Got really drunk with the girl I was dating. Decided we were going to get married. Drove to Vegas. Love this. Drove to Vegas. Do your parents know this? Yeah, they know it. Uh, drove to Vegas. Saw the lights on the horizon. And by that point, our friend that was driving us while we were very, very drunk and encouraging us, reality hit us, and we turned around and went back to L.A. Oh, so you were in L.A.? Yes. Okay. I love this. This is a great story. Yeah. About right as the sun was coming up, so Brian kicked him. Realized it was a pretty bad idea. I think we were broken up nine months later, like most of my relationships. Well, this episode started how they all do. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, this episode of Off the Record you're listening to has come out on uh, the 18th of June. We are recording it a week early because, like Jesse alluded to, I am off to the California Dates of Warp Tour um, to work on my tank top tan um that my girlfriend does not appreciate and that jesse will make fun of me for so oh, that, that's true you, you got an impending graduation party that i'm gonna definitely have some good tank top tan jokes for oh yeah that'll be the that'll be right after i get back and i will be brown and white mm. Mm. <laughs> you're always pretty brown though for such a white guy it's the jewish the jewish skin it's the israeli skin uh, so this week, we uh, we have some brief follow-up from streaming. We don't want to talk about streaming all day because we did that last time, and uh, we make you guys listen to that so often. So we're going to get into a few things. Um, the the first starts, uh, as I'm looking at our show bo- uh, show notes, it is titled Billy Corgan Fuckboy Logic. So uh, Jesse will start. So Billy Corgan... Is stupid Who is enough. Billy Corgan? If In case there's people like me that wouldn't know, I do know, by the way. I'm just saying. So Billy Corgan is the singer of the band that made two great records and then tons of terrible records, yet people still hold them in revere, the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy has lost his mind in recent years. Um, he does all sorts of weird things. He thinks people still want to see his lineup just with him and not with original members, despite the fact that, you know, Jimmy Chamberlain, one of the greatest drummers in rock history, was his drummer, and he thinks pe- he can replace them with, like, 17-year-olds. I was talking to a friend. They the, they just, they either played this year or last year, they played um, Soundwave in Australia, and they, all, they went out to dinner with uh, a few bands, one that I'm friendly with, and apparently he didn't say a single word at dinner. He just, like, sto- uh, he just, like stared off into the abyss. So I feel like that lines up well with uh, your description. Yeah, yeah, he's he's losing his shit. Now, admittedly, the man has made some of my favorite songs, some of my favorite records of all time, but like, whew. So he thinks that streaming music services are going to bury unknown and independent artists, and that it's going to make the pop music world get bigger. Then there's these things called facts that he's not very familiar with. As what I re- is that? As Logic? I recall, he also was voting Republican, so it makes sense that he's not good with facts. Here we um, go. Yep, yep, here we go. Um, so NPR has an excellent article, and so it's called How Streaming Services Are Remaking the Pop Charts. What it's talking about is that we're getting a lot more hip-hop in uh, the charts these days because the streaming services are reflecting how often people keep playing these hip-hop songs. 
And um, it even is doing great things for um, your favorite record of the year, the Atrocious Death Cab for Cutie record. Is it? Yeah, well, that's what NPR is claiming. and I'm I love Death Cab for Cutie. I was listening to them this morning. You know, it was funny. I was out with my girl, and um, the uh, we're, we're at a bar, and uh, Death Cab for Cutie comes on, and sh- she was smart enough to say, she's like, God, who's this watered-down Death Cab for Cutie cover? I'm like, no, that's actually Death Cab for Cutie. It just, that's how bad they've gotten. So even without her knowing. What's the point? What's the point of me trying anymore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So anyway, because the Billboard Hot 100 charts now incorporate streaming songs, we're now seeing a changing landscape. Now, this was best reflected in when streaming happened when the first week we saw the Harlem Shake, uh, Shake or was it the Harlem Shuffle? What was that song called? The uh, That was a song, Harlem Shake. That's what it was. Became a number one song overnight because this is what happened and it was so viral. So, oh, yes, Bowers, Harlem Shake. That, there it is in the article. So, Mr. Corgan, he really has to lay off the Alex Jones and the Glenn Beck and, like, get some facts in his life because this is silly. And just because we love him and we love his guitar tone on Siamese Dream does not mean he's right. Uh, Yeah, I would agree. Um, It is kind of interesting, though, to see that. Like, I I, I don't know that I ever really thought that um, having streaming be so prevalent could actually, like, affect the kind of music that shows up on charts. Um, I, I, it doesn't not make sense, but it, it's interesting to actually see that taking place. Um, well, I think it's interesting too, though. I don't see why you wouldn't see the charts. Cause we have to remember, it's something we talk about that one of the better parts about streaming services is, and this is something we've seen across the board is that like, everybody talks about like, can there be another Nirvana? And, you know, as I've argued, Skrillex was that, but one of the reasons we don't see these seismic bands come out anymore that seem to be like the bands that everybody likes is because streaming music makes it so easy for you to go down avenues and find similar bands to the ones you like and indulge in them so much easier that now the music is spread thinner. So every there's a lot more bands with fan bases than there ever were before that are able to do something, but they're all not getting as big as they used to be. Mm. So you think there's a cap? I wouldn't call it a cap. What I'm more saying is this. Is let's say you have a vat of butter. There's going to be, then you spread it on that toast. There's going to be some mountains, but some of it's going to get very thin. And molehills. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's just never going to be like it used to be where it was this big heaping thing of cream cheese in the middle, like a New York bagel. Okay. That always seems they're, to go they're, through so the they're, hole. They're different, they're different um, bread toppings of, uh, what, do you call, what would you call toaster, or sorry, not toast, butter or uh, cream cheese? A condiment. What do you call them, a condiment? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's a different kind of condiment is what you're saying we're moving towards? Uh, I'm saying a different spreading style of the condiment. Do you prefer uh, butter cream cheese on a bagel? So I've had a war with bagels, Zach, as a New Yorker. What does that mean? Listen, listen, I'm trying to tell you. So I live by my subway stop above it is the Bagel Smith, which is incidentally owned by uh, the late night guy, has really great music taste, and his favorite band is Somos. Uh-huh. Um, we talk a lot. I go in there to get beers too. Cause they have beers late at night. Um, anywho, this bagel place is fucking amazing. It's 24 <laughs> hours and they make the best bagels, but man, bagels make me feel like shit. But as a New York uh-huh. kid and New Jersey kid, like, you know, I, I have those broke back mountain moments where I can't quit them. And like, wow, I've made that joke on this podcast. Before, I know. So, but, I just you know, thought it would die off. It's a it's great back. joke. It's a really great joke. 
I just I I I have it really hard, but um, I will say this: I go cream cheese, but black seed bagel. Are you familiar? Uh, you're not referring to a poppy seed bagel. So black seed bagel is a place on Elizabeth Street. You should. Oh, it's a, it's that, a location. Now that, now that your 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 lady is in uh, New York City, this is oh. a nice like uh, thing. You I'll could have do. Brooklyn updates on our next podcast. <laughs> no, great. Um, so right over the Williamsburg Bridge in Manhattan is Black Seed Bagel. Now, these are some expensive-ass bagels, but they are the best bagels you ever eat. Horseradish cream cheese, dog, all I'm saying, life-changing. Nope. Life-changing. How do you feel about um, buffalo cream cheese? I, I, I can get into it. Now, oh, then, man. So, 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 so this is my big thing, though. Is like, So I've gotten so good at making buffalo wings on my grill, I'm having trouble eating them out now because I can do them better. That was cocky. Oh, I, I'm being serious. I think the people are rolling their eyes at you right now. When you, when you come over for my barbecue, while you won't be able to judge this, all the people who don't have stupid dietary restrictions that they impose on themselves will tell you how great my buffalo wings are when I make them for them, and then you can bow down to my buffalo wing making prowess. Okay. Very quickly, I will say that I cannot eat. I, I have. I, I can't. I couldn't even imagine in 2015 putting butter on a bagel. I can only do cream cheese. Mm. Mm. Couldn't. I just. I, those things don't mix in my mind anymore. I agree. I, I liked it a lot as a kid. Can't imagine yep, doing it. Yeah, I think it's like more of a kid thing. Mm. Uh, now I do hope my girlfriend never listens to this podcast, but I, I do think <laughs> it is more of a kid thing. <laughs> nice. Um, so uh, streaming is. Uh, Cream cheese. <laughs> yes. And uh, music no, 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 downloads. No, no, no. Are... The old music business is cream cheese. Uh, butter butter is the new music business. Because cream cheese spreads better. Well, no, it spreads thicker with higher mountains. Okay. Okay. Whereas the butter Sorry. goes across and melts across and is thinner. Now, now you're making me hungry. I just ate a quesadilla while we were on air. Great. I told you, one, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy, like how David Chang changed ramen and brought it to America. Uh, and made it good. I'm going to be the guy who does that with quesadillas. Like I'm going to take quesadillas to the next level. All righty. I did have ramen for the first time. I saw. I was very excited. It's my favorite it, food. Uh, you know, it, it put my mom into a panic. Mm. But I, I did have ramen for the first time. She thought I was going to die. <laughs> um, so streaming streaming services are making the pop charts, uh, and there are now other uh, now uh, there's more charts for us to look at as well. Uh, Hypebot has uh, made direct-to-fan sales chart debuts, uh, which I actually find to be pretty interesting. Jesse just so showed me them before we went on the air. Uh, so, Jesse, what is a direct-to-fan sale? So, direct-to-fan, the way I like to always think of it, that makes I think makes the most sense to people, is so when you buy something from iTunes, so you buy a band's record to support them, then iTunes takes your email, and then they start emailing you about Reba McIntyre or maybe falling in reverse or something. Whereas if you buy it directly from the band, the band can then put you in their email database and update you on things. So a direct defense sale, not only one, gives the band usually more money, pretty much always. Two, it means that the fan, the band is the one selling it to you as opposed to iTunes. And so even though it might be through a service like Bandcamp or Topspin or Limited Run, these sales are make it so that you can have a relationship and an interaction with your customers, which is very important. That's a lot of what the new music business is about is de-aggregating that. Uh, the old way of that, it always had to be through a store or something something that was one to two links away from you. Instead, you're going direct. Totally. Yeah, and so uh, 
HypePod is now plugging in information from many, but not all. So uh, it should it should be uh, said that this is a little bit incomplete. But for many uh, direct to fan uh, places like uh, Topspin, Band Merch, uh, Gumroad, Pledge Music, um, I would like to see some others like Limited Run, a platform that Jesse and I talk about a lot. Like for example, you know, Bad Timing and Run for Cover and. Other labels do all of their sales through uh, limited run, so uh, that's definitely. So I, good... I would go as far as to say it's the best product out there. Oh, I it's not even yeah, it's not it's not even a comparison in my mind. Um, and then you know it does not seem like something that's the largest of all of them. Merch now is in here, but I, I think it gives you a general sense, um, and, and it's definitely interesting to see it broken up in a different way because. Some bands can do massive numbers in pre-orders, but they don't have distribution, uh, D, to, uh, D to C, which means that the numbers are going to be a little bit skewed. So, for example, um, when Bad Timing released Knuckle Puck's last EP, While I Stay Secluded, we were only just getting ADA distribution at that time. Um, so, uh, man, I don't know, probably like over well over 90% of our sales at the first week were direct to fan. Um, and, and that's really different than most of mainstream music where it's in stores or on iTunes, etc. Um, so I, I think it is valuable if this could actually be like a real resource and updated and done properly. I think what's really interesting too is we're able to see who, which bands' uh, merch sites are being effective because a lot of these don't have like pre-orders up. These are like, like for example, the 1975 is number six and they have nothing new really to sell aside from pink t-shirts and you know you're seeing zach brown band and Kraftwerk, who you know barely have made a record in 15 years brand news on here what is Kraftwerk? Kraftwerk were like the first they were like the what ramones are to the punk to the punk Kraftwerk is the dance mm-hmm. there's a good there's a good bar uh a good craft beer bar called Kraftwerk in philly but oh i don't think there's such i think craft beer and uh good bar are double negatives but you go, girl. Hmm. I yeah. Okay. I'm I'm fa- I'm fine with that. Um, uh, you, you know, it's really to, to look at this. So I think what's so cool about this chart is you could get inspiration for to see like things that are working and like what people are doing from this chart. And I think incidentally, something that you and I have talked about is the Deftones are in this top twenty-five because they have probably one of the best merch. Oh, stores you know in the what? World. So then maybe they do have limited run as well and merch direct, but I don't know. Man, Deftones though. <laughs> Great, amazing, one of the best merch stores of all time. It's just insane to me. I remember distinctively looking at that merch store for the first time and saying, holy shit, how can I become a Deftones fan? Which was a crushing moment for me. Uh, and it has I, not worked yet. I'm, I'm a wow. big Deftones fan, but it's mostly because they're my roommate's favorite band. And by the uh, transitive property, that means I listen to them a lot more than I want. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving on from this into other geekery... Um, we wanted to talk about YouTube's new music insights. So you, YouTube for years has dabbled with doing analytics for people, but they seem to every time they launch it, then they're like, ah, you know what? We'll take this down and we'll rework it. But for a while, there was an awesome thing where anybody could see the analytics of a YouTube video. Like you just click the button and you could see it. And what was awesome is, is like, so this was when I was starting to manage Man Overboard too. So I could click on when the wonder years were doing uh, the upsides, I could click and learn about like where their most popular cities were and make sure we were touring them. 
and see all sorts of insights about things that I wanted to know to understand their demographic. So now you, not everybody can see the stuff, but you can see your own and learn a lot of great things. I, this is great. I, I think every once in a while, Jesse and I come back to actionable data and, and this is what you want. Um, any, you know, it's like every, everyone has to be on a bunch of services. You can't just be on Bandcamp or just be on YouTube. So if you're on Bandcamp, YouTube, Spotify, and Facebook, it, you should be able to see, you should be able to, you know, clue in that data together to the best of your abilities. And, um, any, any service that's giving us more is good. And, and they show good examples of, uh, what music is being popular aware, where your fan bases are. And that's really valuable, I think, on YouTube because I don't, I don't really recall seeing it. Like, so they used um, this artist, Major Laser, as an example, and he's very popular. But It's um, not a he. It's a group. It's Diplo and Switch. How many things does Diplo do? A lot. I mean, he's got Jack U. He's is got that the, the guy uh, that just did the Justin Bieber thing that everyone likes? That, that, so that's J Jack U, his band with Skrillex. Which this is his band with Switch. So him and Switch, for example, produced um, the early MIA stuff. That was very good. Oh, that Paper Plane song? They did, did in fact, do that song. That's the only MIA song I know. Oh, the first record's a, a classic. I would go as far as to say it's probably one of the best hip-hop records in, in the history of time. Wow. Well, it's an amazing. Major, I, I would say it's in my top twenty most listened to records in my life. It is that's crazy? Yeah, yeah, I mean it's a it's a really amazing record. Hmm. Um, well, Major Lazer, the group. Um, uh, so, for example, YouTube has um, they they use them as an example, and uh, they they show stats since September two thousand fourteen. They have 277 million views, um, and it shows that they have 5 million views in France, 4 million views in Turkey. That's crazy. Uh, it, it, it's because Diplo has this brand as he's an international traveler. He actually was doing a travel show for – he has actually a travel book that my friend oh, shot wow. where he goes to all these crazy – in Romania. Oh. Well, so what Diplo does, he has a really great brand of he he goes to these countries and then brings out some of their culture and puts it into dance music. So Major Labels, Laser's first uh, video that was popular is the thing that um, popularized daggering. Popularized what? Yes, I knew you weren't going to know what daggering is. I think you should Google it, Google it, Google it when we get done. It sounds concerning. Yeah, you know what? Is I, it I, sexual I, or murderous? It, it's probably the dance oh, it looks move. Sexual. It looks very sexual. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the, it's the dance move closest to sex uh, there is. Daggering is a form of dance originating from Jamaica. The dance incorporates dry sex, wrestling, and other forms of frantic movement. I love that description, frantic movement. J jumping jumping off ladders on onto your partner. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The Google images up for this are not great. No, they're great. I love Daggering. Wow. Some really interesting images. Um, okay. Well, don't See, crash you, your you, car. You, you learn something new every day talking to me. I, I do. So I, I, uh, uh, so, <laughs> I don't even know what to do from here. Oh, that's what Diplo looks like. Yeah. 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 You've, you know, Philly that's guy. That's quite a white guy right there. F F Philly guy. Is he? Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. He was dating the second whitest girl in the world. Uh, I, I assume by first is Taylor Swift for you. Yes. And then Katy Perry. Oh, what is that? Is she from Philly? No, 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 no. Oh, she's from California. Teenage yeah. dreams, man. Yeah. Is California girls? They're on for... Sorry. 
You love that song, man. Oh, I, I you know, the first two Katy Perry She's records good. are first two Katy Perry records are classics. This third one, not so much. Yeah, I would agree with the you. pop. The, the, fun fact. Uh huh. The pop punk song on the first Katy Perry record is the mix we use to reference for Man Overboard. Real talk. Wow, Katy Perry is great. Like girl, girl has hits. Yeah. Uh, do you know the pop pop punk song? I don't know. Oh, uh, I, I, I'm gonna have to hook you up with this later. Uh, yeah, I would love that. It's it's really good. That's how she got on Warped Tour. I'm convinced. Is they just played no, that one that song? The, they got they had a there's a manager the manager hook up there. Yeah, I'm saying the manager played that one pop punk song. That's, uh, that's like banging, um, banging. It's called Self Inflicted. I just remembered it. Okay. So anyway, uh, it shows you where all your views are coming from by city or by country, which is super helpful. Especially like. Man, imagine touring Europe for the first time and not necessarily having an agent yet or having one, but being like, hey, this is where I'm really popular. And and here are the numbers to back it up just from one service or, you know, it's just the more information you can get, the better. And I I think this is uh, really good by YouTube to do and hopefully, you know, further dive into. Well, and then imagine you're a band that doesn't have an agent yet and your video is doing great. This is what you show your potential booking agent. Is if you're, like, you're doing great and you're like, yo, dog, I'm only playing in my hometown, but there's all these people who keep watching my video and loving my stuff and all these other places. I want to get it done. You want to sign me? Suppy. Suppy. Whoa. Mm. I just think it was the first. We just had a moment. I you were, you were a... trying to drop the mic. Yeah, yeah. You just used Suppy as a mic drop. I think that was like the first time I ever used Suppy and not making fun of what defend me? pop punk fuck boys sound like. Well, Jesse. Once a fuck boy, always a fuck boy. Mm, I like I like that. That should be on a shirt. Yep. Yep. Okay. Or off the record shirts. <laughs> An image of daggering and uh, once a fuck boy, always a fuck boy. Uh, it's a shame we're not titling the episode that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and and uh, to to further along our data kick, um, song kick and crowd surge are emerging. You ask, what are those two things? Songkick is a service like Bands in Town that tracks all artists' tour dates uh, and emails fans and keep tracks of fans that like the bands um, to have an updated platform. And CrowdSurge um, is a uh, artist-to-fan ticket seller. Um, so it's more kind of like we were just talking about, direct-to-fan. Um, and they're combining these two things so Songkick can say, hey, or sorry, an artist can say, uh, can put ticket information into crowd uh, into sorry into sorry an artist can input ticket information into Songkick and when Songkick emails uh, fans about new tour dates they can buy tickets from right within that email rather than having to go another step or more to find tickets. Um, I think this is smart. Uh, this kind of sounds like the next evolution of what a product like this should be. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all wished this happens. Like, any time we get an alert from these services, we've all wished that we could just click it and make life easy. And, you know, the day that we get to that, it just takes three clicks to get to a purchase uh, of a ticket from your Facebook feed, we're all going to be really psyched. Yeah, I, I, I th- whatever we can do to just kind of limit the steps, like limit the friction between... I don't know. My thing is, if someone wants to buy something, let them. Yeah. Don't make it difficult, right? Like that to me is one of the most important lessons I know for myself. Like, what, like, like the Amazon data set says, uh, is you lose seventy-two percent of people for every click you go past two clicks. 
Totally. And that's why I, I like, that's why like bad timing. We tell people, if you want this, you, you're able to get it at 2 PM at this day. Like it, it, you just let you, if people want something, tell them how to get it. Don't make it a pain. And so I, I really like this kind of continuation of being able to have fans get what they want. And obviously it's going to help bands potentially tremendously long-term if the um, friction just continues to dwindle. So big fan of this. Yes. Ag- agreed. And it seems like bands in town did something very similar. Yeah. I mean, they are just in total equal competition to each other. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're always pretty much neck and neck and filling the void. The other one uh, does. So I feel like it's just that song kick has more indie bands that, actively use yeah, it and whereas bands in town, town is, is more seen yeah but there happen to be a lot of scene bands so it's good business for them well, and our listeners love them a scene band oh yes they love they love jack you don't don't diss that jack you record that that, that thing is get, it good i heard oh, it like no, flop. I, I, I don't think didn't it's flopped. didn't they have like a big uh like msg show that flopped they did have a big msg show that flopped, but we discussed what why that could be previously yeah um i don't think that that was that plus the record wasn't out then oh. um so the record's good the, the record's been powering my bicycle rides lately. It's, it's, I have to say, now, let me also say this. I had to make a playlist to get rid of a lot of the songs because there's some serious filler on that piece. How many songs are there on, like, on... Uh, I think it's, like, What 14. kind of music would you call this? <sighs> well, it's... It, I, I would call it progressive dance. Wow. So we're adding in pre and post and progs to this. There's always been prog, prog dance. I mean, I, I was listening to prog, prog dance in 96 when you were, like, one or whatever. I was three. Thank you. Yep. 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 So what... Let me ask you two Jack U questions, if I may. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the name? I mean, you know, dance bands tend to have really bad puns in their names. And as we know, as somebody with puns of steel, I love punishing people with the good puns. I mean, I think Major Lager is a cool is a cool name. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. I mean, I would not name my band Jack U with an umlau. Umlau. Mm. And what do you think about, uh, do you think this has helped or hurt Skrillex's brand? Where do you think Skrillex's brand is right now? Well, you got to remember, Skrillex is still still can bring in the crowds because he's a brand name, and then you know that you're going to be able to go there, do Molly, and sweat all over yeah, everybody. He's the white face of dance music. Is that accurate? I, I would say actually, him and uh, Tiesto. Yeah, I, I even know who Tiesto is. To me, that's like that guy has to play every EDM festival, otherwise it's a wash. He, he's he is very popular with the Guidos. Yeah, with, with, with people who buy bottle service. Tiesto is like Jesus. Yeah. Damn, that's a good one, Jesse. Yeah. I try, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, it just comes natural. Yeah. Yeah. If you wear a chain around your neck and you are white, you definitely like Tiesto. Is that if, accurate? If you've ever looked at Ed Hardy and thought, that's a good taste, you love Tiesto. Saw this guy in, on, on a tight Armani, uh, tight Armani shirt today. Mm, and that like, bad how, look. It's Bad look, man. If, if you see true religion jeans and you think, oh, I wish man, I, those I, are something else. If what you, is that? If, if you think, I wish I could afford these, Tiesto is your guy. Do you, th- do you think those are expensive jeans? I don't know. I'm asking. Ah, uh, you know, I, I... There's part of me that feels like they are really cheap or really expensive. Like, God, I, I, just... think, I think they're pretty expensive. I, you know, this is the thing. Those people are the suckers of the world, and that's how it fuels the economy, is the idiocracy is fueled by people who do that, who buy the hot dog pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut, etc. I got to say, man, I would, I would try that if I had any desire to do that. You're out of your fucking mind. So 
But uh, just one more thing on Skrillex. I feel like when I was 17 and hated the world like I do now, every, all, every, all of the other 23 uh, students next to me were only listening to Skrillex. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like then he released that yes. surprise so, so he album. put out his debut of record. Yeah. And it's a piece of shit. Oh, really? I, I mean, like, I'm a huge Skrillex fan, and I can't even listen to that one song on that record. Wow. So, so but you like this Jack U album. I think this Jack U record's fantastic. So do you think this, this Jack is... This Jack U record will probably be a... I, I don't know if I'm going to go top 10, but let's say it's going to be my top 20. Now, we should also qualify this with I listen to so little music that basically if I listen to a record more than four times, it goes in my top 20. So do you think... Um, do, you, do, you, do you look forward to more from him in the future as, as, a, as Skrillex himself? Or do you think I, it, I, it's I, a wash? I think, I, think, I think Skrillex is a stunningly good artist who can make great music in the future. Um, I mean, he made a song where I actually want to hear Justin Bieber sing. That's, what, that's the tweet I continue to see. Like, yeah. fuck this band for making me... <laughs> Fuck this band for making me like Justin Bieber. I, I saw Josh Topolsky tweeted it today. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're living in the same Twitter stream, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to do some Twitter questions? Streamers. Yeah, I, I love questions. Our lovely listeners can continue to ask us questions by tweeting hashtag AskOTR or just tweeting at Jesse about um, uh, wings, chicken wings. Um, so at Alex number two. Not Not number one. Dude was dude was keeping his eye out. No, it was pretty pretty funny. Yeah. So Alex number two wants to know what should an independent band look for in a manager? What are some red flags to be aware of? Okay. I I had this talk yesterday, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, when did this happen? It's 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 tricky, but it is also easy. And I'm aware that those things do not work together. In my mind, what can a manager do for you that you cannot currently do for yourself or that you shouldn't be doing for yourself? So if you're a band that is moderately successful and and meaning that you have somewhat of a fan base, you can tour places, um, but you need to be touring more, you want to be touring more and uh, you want to be better at merch, etc., and you sit and you're looking around for a manager. Should you just take anyone? Um, should you just should a friend who says, "Hey, uh, I've been working as a TM or a merch guy for a while. Let me manage you." Is that is that the educated choice or is it not? And to me, what matters is if you're a band and you've done a bunch of independent tours by yourself. You're friendly with other bands. You've gone on a bunch of shows. You've sold merch well, et cetera. Like, let's just say you're doing okay for yourself. You have you have a head on top of your shoulders. Um, and you want a manager, but you, like, what can that guy do for you or, or a girl? Like, if someone approaches you and you do not think they're a person that can competently get you a booking agent or work with your booking agent to get a tour or work to get a better record label, et cetera, well, then what are they doing for you? Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that as a small independent band, you might not bring, be bringing in all the checks. So... Even putting the 15% aside, it's just a matter of how can the manager that you hope to get get you better tours, help make you better decisions? Um, what are the, what are their stance on merch stores? Where should you have merch stores open? Where do they get merch? Like, th- There's a lot of things to consider. And while someone's saying, hey, let me manage you, I think I'm pretty smart, is definitely like maybe a little bit of an ego boost. To me, a manager should help um, do what the artist can't. 
And what I will say, because I've been having this problem over the past few days, is a manager does not mean a band does not have to work. A band should always do as much or more than the manager. It's your life. It is your career. The manager works for you, but the boss should not be taking a day off. Um, Every member in a band can do different things, and bands should always be working as hard or more than the manager. And I think that's incredibly important as well. Uh, I, I agree with all of that. I think the things I'd like to add is, um, so the way the, I, I, I have a part of my book where I talk about a good test for a first manager is, if a manager can't tell you a lot of things in the first like three hours that you're talking that you don't already know, like if you're if they literally can't tell you things that you can't figure out yourself, you're probably going to have a bad relationship. Um, two, what is their vision for you? And it shouldn't be get an opening gig opening for you too. Like it needs to be a, this is how we get there with very tangible ideas of how you do that stuff. Three, if they've worked with other people, there's no problem to write them, call them, have a friend introduce you and say, what was it like to work with this person? Why did the relationship end? Not just because somebody doesn't work with somebody doesn't always mean the relationship ended badly. Sometimes it's very amicable. But find out what those things are. Um, and then four, I think the ability to have a in pretty insane work ethic is really it. There's so many people who are failed by their managers who clock a nine to five and um, four hours as just gossiping with other people in the music business. Totally. And and to me, and uh, unfortunately, this is something that you won't be able to see from a manager until you're working with them, but... I don't necessarily agree with oh, that. Oh, no, sorry. I, I wasn't saying that. I was saying something else. Like okay. I'm adding to what you're gotcha. saying. Gotcha. Managers should be bringing bands ideas that they're not having. And that does not mean the band is dumb or that like you're dumb or any, like anything. It's just... The, the perspective, uh, bands are in the trenches. That's the job. Yes. Um, managers should be seeing what other bands are doing or seeing what other bands aren't doing, what works and what isn't, and be bringing ideas to the table. Um, how can, uh, we're announcing a new album. How can we ensure that as many people know about it as possible? Um, Knuckle Puck, by the time this, Knuckle Puck announced their album today on uh, 7, not, nope, on 6-11. Um, we set the band's band camp, uh, to free downloads all week. And, uh, we got 11,000 new downloads and 5,000 new email addresses. And we're going to be using That's those. Email it's, yeah. And we're going to be using those email addresses to add to our mailing list, to send out a big newsletter the night before pre-orders go out. So everyone knows, and this goes back to what we were talking about just a minute ago, so everyone knows that at X o'clock on Friday the 19th, this first song is up and so are the pre-orders. So don't miss out. Like that, that's that some that's just an example, but it's the little things that can end up making a big difference short and long term. Um so. agreed. And that and that and that is everything Zach said there, that's strategy. And if the manager doesn't get that and is not interested in that type of stuff, then Right. So much is, so much is kind of, you know, so much is standardized. Like you have an album rollout, you have a tour announcement, but it's, it's how you, how you plug in other things around the general, uh, instances that happen in everyday life for bands and make it better that show that you can go the extra mile. And that's like a hard answer. It's very difficult to know if a manager is going to do that or not, but those are the kind of things you want to have. Yeah. And there's also no reason a lot of managers will, I mean, I 
have said this before, I think, on the podcast, that when I, every time I took a band on a band, we're doing a trial period at first. And we're mm. seeing if we like working. Because, you know, there was like one band I managed. That, like, after like a few months, I was like, you know what? These guys are, they're uh, what we like to call, one, they were punishers. And then two, uh, they were self-sabotagers. And I saw that they were self-sabotagers. So I'm like, you know what? I can't take my time with self-sabotagers. Nothing more upsetting than the self-sabotager. There's a lot of them out there and you got so to learn to do it. But we should get into the question that kind of piggybacks on something you just talked about. Okay. Which is from X Steven X burial. Dude, he's um, edge. I mean, that's not just fuck. That's two X's dog. Damn. About how often should I try to send email updates for my band? How often is too little or too much? So my thing is always this. There's two types of emails. There's geo-targeted emails. Geo-targeted emails is when you get the zip code from people or let's say they're signing your book at the the show, you have to always write the zip code of where you played because they're willing to come to the, that place. Geo-targeted emails can be sent every time you're playing locally because that is relevant to the people. Now, Every time, Jesse. Every time, listener. That's what Jesse said. I think every time you're playing in a town, you can do that. Now, if you're punishing people by playing your local town as like a 17 lot of, times. Yeah. You and don't, by the may, way, maybe, also... maybe spare people. So there is an exception, but then there's general full email system blasts. And I would say this also clues in, by the way, kind of just to that conversation we were having about bands in town and, uh, um, song kick, make sure that your, your tour dates are included on bands in town and song kick, because they will also send emails once a week for all shows of artists you like in your area. Great Side point. Note. Great point. Thank you. So Thank you. Then there's the e- email email blast. Why? I tend to be of the mind that some people are like, you should send a monthly thing about what you're up mm. to every single month. I do not agree. Emailing somebody is a privilege, and if you send it every month, they're going to be annoyed. Even though that doesn't seem like it's a, m- a tricky month. balance. Um, like Bat- Thomas and I go back and forth on bad timing all the time. We we value. We view our newsletters as being very important because, again, it's how we tip people off. Like, hey, this is going on sale. And I end up actually wanting to send newsletters much more often than Thomas does. And we meet somewhere in the middle. But, you know, if we have a new release announcement, I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to just get the word out there and, and, and make sales for us and for the artists and so on. But there is definitely a, a, a balance. So if bad timing has four releases in a month, we should not be sending four newsletters, right? Um, so it's more like, well, should we do one or two kind of thing? Uh, and I think most of the time we'll settle on one. And that that does not mean that I'm advocate, advocating or not advocating for one newsletter a month. It's just kind of what do you have going on? So to me, like, there are a few prime things to send newsletters for. Album announcement, tour announcement. Um, and then the one thing I think that kind of gets overdone is... Look, bands have like merch sales five times a year. Don't send an email every time you have a merch sale. It's true. If you have like a 50% merch sale and you're really trying to move stock, sure. But don't inundate fans on that note. Like uh, something I like that Blink does, they they typically do a holiday shirt for every holiday. Or, you know, not every, but marquee holidays. And they'll send a newsletter out about that because they're limited and they want fans to be able to get them. Otherwise, they get bummed out if they don't see a tweet or something. And I find that to be valuable. I Also, it's gotten me to buy a bunch of Blink shirts. Um, so I think it's about being smart. You don't want people to be unsubscribing. Uh, how can they get value out of it, basically? Yeah. And 
I think there's another, like, you really have to look at this as somebody on the other side of it, which is that, like, really, you don't want to abuse a privilege, and people do feel like their mailboxes are a little sacred sometimes. Um, but if Inbox you want... zero, Jesse. Yeah, I've been very bad at that lately. I, I was just bemoaning that so Zach, I imagine you've never used the site OkCupid, have you? I haven't. I uh, I I had never. So my my friend uh, recently went through a thing where uh, he is now single, uh, and and he has been using Tinder. And I've oh, never yes. and I've never I had never seen Tinder before. Uh, and I, I took his phone yesterday. I was like, "Whoa, this is weird." I've yeah, I've never. No, I have not used OkCupid. The, the, all these sites like are interesting to me, but I just because I don't even like I know like you swipe right or you swipe left. Yes. So I, I, it was fun for me yesterday to see what Tinder was like. So, so to take this back to email. Yes. OkCupid is a thing that says replies very selectively. Mm. I think when you email oh, yeah. somebody, you should be able to see a thing on their email that says is absolutely terrible at email. Like their life is a fucking mess because I need that right now because the amount of email I get compared to how much time I can devote to doing that instead of getting people's records done and working on startups and podcasts and books, it just sucks. Jesse, tell the people how productive I am with email. You, you, uh, so I should make this say this because I work directly with Zach. Zach and I, I will email Zach back the second I see one. But Zach is the fastest emailer in the business. I'm known for that, and I hate email. I used to. I was. I don't think I talked to you about. Was it you? Oh, it was right. We talked about why I like email. Or no? I think we did talk about this. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I used to love email, and now it's just like it is my nightmare. Um, it's punishing. I but, the, the the biggest stress of my life. The number one thing on my quantum to do list is figure out how email doesn't make you miserable anymore. Ugh. There's just no way. It's like it is. It's the internet's form of cancer. It's just gonna be oh, there. Jesus. It's gonna come in and out. It's never gonna go away. You're, you sometimes you might be in remission, but it's probably going to come back. Well, there's there's some validity to that. Thank you. I know that was heavy-handed, but I really feel that strongly. About you probably it. should have handed that to me as the uh, cancer survivor because I could say anything I want about cancer. It's like racial slurs. But I, I feel like because you're my one uh, cancer friend, I'm allowed to say things about cancer. Oh, that that's, that's good. Very, very well done. Very Thank well you. done. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I've been really getting quicker lately. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, maybe your brain's freed up now that school uh, school's over. Yes, I, uh, I. So far, I have one A, one A minus, and one C minus, Jesse. So I'm gonna pass, I think. So, so are you gonna pick up like five new responsibilities when school gets out? To yeah, keep... five new TV shows. <laughs> nice, nice, very well. Done. <laughs> um, you want to know what I got my C minus in? Would you get your C minus? American in? popular music. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You're terrible at that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so the next question comes from at Tim C. Sheehan. And it says, what makes a city an A, B, or C market? Is it merely ticket sales? I think this is a great question. Yeah. Because I, I think this to a lot of people is industry lingo. Mm -hmm. And they never know what it means, which is totally okay. And it's industry lingo that uh, if you follow bands, they drop this like it's the most casual knowledge on right. the planet. Like they're just and like, it's funny yeah, it's do actually, it all sees this time around. And it's like you it's know, not actually like a gross term, right? It's a very value, you know, it's a valuable uh you know, kind of whatever name to a whole you know, it's a it's a valuable name for for the discussion, but no one knows what what, what the name refers to. So uh an A market is the markets 
that are most populated and like music. Uh, do you think that's a fair summary? We can list off some of the markets. Sure, sure. So, yeah. so New York, L.A., Boston, Chicago, um, Dallas, Dallas, San Francisco, uh, Philadelphia, the the major cities. It, it can it can be there can be technically like. So obviously New York City is much more populated and probably much more well attended for music than um God, where's uh you know, Detroit maybe, right? But Detroit is still an A market that does very well and it is and it is the A market of Michigan. Um so in most states there are A markets unless there's kind of unless it's kind of like North Dakota, where no one in punk is gonna go uh listen to punk music, I guess. You think there's anything in North Dakota? There's, uh, I mean, a lot of bands. You ever go been there? there? Well, you, you know, I actually have. Um, but you want to know what was funny about North Dakota? You know, that was the last state. That, it was either North Dakota or South Dakota. Obama hadn't even gone to one of those until this year. He'd been oh, to every other state. Rules. But he's like, what the fuck do I got to go here for? There ain't nothing <laughs> fucking here. What the fuck? That's great. So uh, let's use, uh, maybe New York's a good example. Eh, it's okay. But we'll, we'll use New York. Um, Manhattan, A market. Long Island, B market. I guess there's not really not really a C market in, Al- in New York. Yeah, Altoona, Pennsylvania. C oh, market. Okay, you want to do that? Oh, so Phil- uh, Pennsylvania, let's say. Uh, Philadelphia, A market. Lansdale or Westchester, B market. Altoona, C market. You think that's decent? I, I, I think you're doing great. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so... So if a band is uh, headlining for the first time off of a new album, they're going to do an A-market tour. So they're going to hit all the normal tour spots. Uh, usually a second headlining tour will be in markets, like in B-markets. So they'll still play Long Island, but they won't play Manhattan um, because they want to cater to different fans. And oftentimes the venues are smaller um, because there's less fans in B and C markets. Um you typically see B and C market tours combined uh, because you still need to get from city to city or town to town, and you can't just skip over five states because that's inefficient. So instead of playing Chicago, you'll play uh, Joliet or DeKalb. I forget. DeKalb and Joliet. Yes. Thank you. So you you play around the city in the suburbs or a little farther out. Yeah, a lot of co- a lot of college towns. Yeah, 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 absolutely, a lot of college towns. So that's a pretty good question. Thank you. Uh, so this is from at Dan Arnder. Always wondered how are record sales projected? Is it based on a percent of pre-sales? Does back catalog matter? Um, so it's a few different things. So if if the story so far sold fifteen thousand copies of their last album. And the band has since gone on larger support and headline tours. And, uh, you know, their following has only greatly grown. You would hope, just in a very basic setting, you would hope for the same or much better in sales. Right? Right. And so um, for an early projection, you would say, oh, man, they did 15,000. We're really going to hope between 18 and 22 this time. Because in general, I, th- I think it's also, uh, you also have to look at the scene around you. So um, while, I don't know what a good example is, uh, while a day to remember can sell 100,000 copies of a new album, the story, where the stories so far are and where a day to remember are, are very different. So what's, a, what's like a companion or a colleague of the story so far? You would say The Wonder Years. Well, The Wonder Years' last album did 18,000 copies first week. 
And that was, uh, that was their uh, third kind of mainstream album. And this is the story so far. So you, you first go off of recent activity and touring size and off of uh, contemporaries. And then uh, you start plugging in pre-order numbers. So if the album in one day did 3,000 uh, D to C pre-order, uh, D to, sorry, direct to fan pre-order sales on uh, Merch Now, that might mean X or Y. And then, um, so, so then people typically put up their album for digital pre-orders on Spotify, sorry, on uh, iTunes and Amazon, and you get that information either weekly or daily. So you can continue to see um, how pre-orders are going online and on digital platforms. And then you kind of put together, um, you know, if 15,000 people, and this would be a lot, if 15,000 people have pre-ordered an album before it's come out, well, you can probably guess a lot more people are going to buy it the day of. Um, so there's a lot of information you put together. It's not a direct science by any means. So our last question for the, for the day, I find very insulting. Um, really? At Tim C. Sheehan said, is Jesse Ken's love for Chunk No Captain Chunk true or ironic? I don't like anything in this world, ironically. I fucking love Chunk No Captain Chunk. Have you listened to their new album? Uh, we talked about this. It's just I not forget. as good. It's just not as good. The Joey Sturgis one is yeah. TH Cor- THX Core Pop Punk at its best, man. That record just, you know, it gets me pumped up on the bike ride, man. When I want to keep it a little less dance music and a little bit more true pop punk. I got, That's I got, your I got, stuff? I, got, I mean, I mean, dude, put, putting crab core with pop punk, I mean, how could it be more genius? And how could I get more pumped up? What if they made an R&B mo album? I don't think they'd be very good. You see, the thing for R&B mo, and I, I, I wanted to say this too, that I, I do feel like maybe I misstepped on the R&B mo. Oh, no. Because I was thinking about it. You know, when that fucking horrible Fallout Boy song came out, the This Ain't a Scene, This Is a Goddamn Arms yeah, Race one. It's one of my least favorite Fallout Boy songs. That's a, that's a truly atrocious song. Like that, I get like when people say Fallout Boy is the worst band of all time. If I had only heard that song, I would probably agree. It's so um, bad. And I enjoy much of their other catalog. But when he started singing like an R&B star and then that became really popular, um, I feel like that was really the R&B mo- moment. Really? Yeah, maybe maybe that 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 what was. Oh, uh, okay. Like Wait, every, would... everybody everybody got into R and B for like a hot minute there, and then like you got like the cab and like mm-hmm. all these like and I, th- I was these never like bands I just hate. That. Yeah, I, I mean like it there's just, very, like, very few moments of pop punk I've hated man, more. The cab is a really good example. I was just like, I don't get this. Yeah, well, I mean, Zach, let's be honest. When you're as white as you, you can't get R and B. No, but, I, I I didn't get why people in our genre liked it. Is there any R&B you've ever liked? Like, there's hits on the radio that I'm not offended by. Not offended by, but you don't like. Like, like I'm a... Like, pa- you know, classic a- Usher, man. Okay, so I, see, uh, I will go go there. I'm, I'm a huge fan of some Usher songs. Uh, I'm a yeah. huge Prince fan. Huge, huge. Usher, I heard an Usher song somewhere yesterday. I was like, damn, still got it. Um, Janet Jackson, 80s Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis period. Some of my favorite music of all time. I find R&B, like, I, I don't dislike R&B at all. I find it, I find it to be good, like, radio or party music. Sure. Like, at, like, at, like, at, uh, on, like, a lawn there as a party kind of music. You know what I mean? I, I find it to be pleasant and not offending. 
pleasant and not offending. So like rock Zero. music, rock music, I think is very broad, and so it's offensive to any other person that does not like that kind so, of see, music. See, but this is this is the thing I have with rock music. So right now, if you could consider who who would you consider the face of rock music today? Because I would consider it the Foo Fighters. I would also, yeah, I would say for the last ten years. <laughs> and then so maybe if we took the newest band, it would be Imagine Dragons in the mainstream. Uh, these these bands are well. While I'm offended by how bad they are, they are the least offensive, most dad rock bullshit but I, pussy I, lame thing and so i think that's the thing is i love an offensive rock band like a guns and roses but there is nothing offensive about these little old men prancing I around think that, or, i think if we went to a part i think if we went to a party and there are people like us there and r&b was playing or uh like Imagine Dragons Rock was playing, we would not be offended by the R&B, but we would be like, man, get that off. Right. There's you know no I mean? way new Foo Fighters and uh, Imagine Dragons is being played at the party without us busting out our iPhones. That's what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you, dog. I, I don't think that's happening at your graduation party. What do you think's happening at my graduation party? What kind of music should we play? <sighs> uh, um... Well, I imagine what's going to end up happening is your parents are going to take control of it and they're going to celebrate you. So maybe we'll be listening to some of your bands. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I'm like going to just my parents your old, ba to, uh, yeah. your old bands that you represent. I'm going to take my parents to like they have this will be the first time they hear this. But when uh, when if and when Knuckle Puck play a show in the fall, I, I want to take my parents to it. Oh. Uh, and and like see, show them what I currently do, but when I don't sit at a computer, you know, mm. you can go to that show in in New York. So I I I, I will be there. Yeah. So I, I think it would be really. The only issue is like my mom usually goes to bed at nine, mm. but she'll that, have to make an a, exception that night. That that that, that is going to be something. Chuck No Captain Chunk R and Bmo, we did it. Thank you for listening to Off the Record this week. Jesse and I will be back uh, maybe on the 25th. I think that sounds right with a brand new episode. And uh, we'll be talking about all sorts of music genres and fuckboys. Mm. Thank you. <laughs>